What is going on everybody? We are back with another Hidden Falls Media Experience. I am so happy to have you guys here. This is the show for the entrepreneurs who are out there taking that leap of faith, for the ones that are out there challenging their self-belief, the ones that are out there growing every single day because they know it's the only way to not only move themselves forward, but their business. We bring on some of the best guests that we can possibly find, and today is no exception to that. Uh, you know we don't run ads, we don't sell you anything on this podcast, so we just ask that you share it out with a friend. If it brought you value, if you got some level of impact from it, which I know you will today, because this guy is absolutely incredible. My guest today is a speaker, a podcaster, an executive coach, an entrepreneur, and the side hustle millionaire, Tony Watley, everybody. Please welcome on board. Tony, we're happy to have you here. Hey, Alex, thanks for having me on the show, man. I can't wait to bring some value, and thank you for the invite, and it's always good to catch up with you, friend. Of, of course. Uh, let's fill in our audience. You and I have known each other for about two years now. Um, I really want to get into the comic book origin 101 of how you got from the oil and gas world, and even maybe a little bit before that inside the car world where you were, and how we've moved through that transition up to where you're a thriving entrepreneur, you're the side hustle millionaire, and really breaking down what the future of that's going to lay out for you. I'll guess that my life started out ordinary, lower middle class, two hardworking parents, blue collar. Dad was in the U.S. Marines. Actually, today's the Marines' birthday, so happy birthday to the Marines out there that might be listening. Semper and fun. After that, he was in the oil industry and the chemical refineries here in the Houston area. My mom's Japanese and she came over with my dad and basically worked her entire career as a public school cafeteria worker until she retired. So I got to see the value of really hard work and trying to make ends meet. And also got to see the stresses around money and arguing about not having enough and growing up without a lot of things and understanding that if I wanted to do something, then if I wanted to own something, that I had to go figure out how to do that. Hmm. And fortunate for me, my parents were both positive minded people and they encouraged that behavior. So if I was 10 years old and I decided I wanted a new skateboard, or a new video game, they just told me, well, go fire up the lawnmower and go knock on doors. And when you make enough money, go to stop and go corner store at the end and buy some more gas and just keep knocking on doors. And that's what I did from 10 to 12. I was knocking doors, washing cars, walking dogs, whatever I could to make a few extra bucks. So I was literally a door-to-door -door sales kid, when you think of it that way. And I remember my kid, my friends would be riding by on their bicycles and skateboards and see me mowing somebody else's yard. And they would kind of laugh at me because I'm mowing someone else's yard because I was working as a kid. And you know what? I never really felt embarrassed or ashamed for doing that because that was the means that I was going to get things. And so when you get into the you know, career side, I'm a mechanical engineer by, by education. That was a pursuit of the middle-class dream of attaining six-figure salary, right? We've got to make six figures. And I get it that vast majority of this country right now, the average household income is around 68,000 combined. And so most of the people in this country have not achieved a six-figure income. So I'm not belittling that, but just understanding that was the basis of my pursuit of dreams. And so we always hear that you need to go be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, right? So I was like, well, don't like medical stuff. I don't like dealing with sick people and blood. And I don't really want to spend my whole day arguing or having my nose in books and being a lawyer. So maybe I have to figure out something with engineering. And I would say I was very average at math, which made engineering kind of difficult in school. But I love cars. And I said, well, mechanical engineering, I get to learn a lot of different things about cars. So it's going to fortify some passion that I have about automotive and I'll get some education. And maybe I'll make six figures at the end of that. So 
that's the whole pursuit of that. I worked construction at age 18 and working in the chemical refineries, just like my dad did. And that was how I paid for college myself. And I would go to school at night and take two or three classes a semester. And then I would also wait tables and work in restaurants on the weekends to try to make ends meet. And that was my life for about seven years while I was going through school. And the whole pursuit was that six-figure income salary. And, and the funny thing is, is that after I got out of school and I got that first salary job, which was around $45,000 at the time in engineering entry level, I felt like I had a part-time job because I was getting home at 4.30 in the afternoon and I had all this evening hours to do something. And all my other friends were running around at the bars being stupid, probably still in school, let's be honest. And I was like, you know, I could be doing something more productive and I'm not at that six-figure level yet. So maybe I should start some businesses or learn some new skills that I could monetize and make some extra money. And that's how I was really just thinking about it because I didn't grow up thinking I would ever be a millionaire or a multimillionaire or anything like that because that just seemed so far out of reality for my life that I just didn't think it was possible for me. So I just focused on what most people focus on. Let's make extra money. Let's make a few extra hundred bucks, maybe a thousand extra bucks. And that's how I really thought about my first business. And so my first business was teaching myself how to code HTML to make really simple websites. And I learned Photoshop to really create simple graphics and logos and things like that. So yeah, back in the early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of companies that were on the internet yet because they didn't have a website. They didn't have logos designed. So I just learned how to do those things by reading books and practicing on my computer at night. And I got to where I'm probably built over a hundred small web pages, like these one to three page web pages to get people online. And eventually I created an automotive community around my love for cars. And even when I started that thing that eventually made millions of dollars, it was just to make $500 extra a month because that was the car note of the Trans Am that I bought myself for graduating college. So I was like, oh, cool. I got this car. It's brand new. And if I could make $500 off this little thing, this idea, it'd be like having a free car. That's how I kind of yeah, thought about baby. it. And, you know, I was like, I'm a big boy. I've got a degree and I've got a salary job and I've got benefits. And, you know, this is just extra money. That's how I really thought about it. I'm really painting this picture because I don't want listeners to think that, yeah, I became multimillionaire by thinking I'm going to go make multi-millions of dollars and I'm just going to figure out I'm the world dream crusher. That's not true. And that's not how most people think because they don't believe it's possible for themselves. So that's why I keep illustrating that point. But things just kind of grew and grew and grew, man. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's so much gold in there. The first one that really caught my ear on that, which I hadn't heard out of you before, was the seven-year journey through college. And looking back, I did exactly the same thing. I went through, the I call it the good boy route, where you go to college and you get into a degree within one of those three fields. Mine was psych and neuroscience. Mm -hmm. uh, but originally, going to, I wanted to go to school for graphic design and art and work in the CGI industry because I was so captivated by the illusion that people could create off of a computer. Uh, so it's funny kind of seeing that transition of how you had to flip that script and taking the time to go through that experience is something I feel like is not, not custom. It's not, uh, it's not a, uh, it's not top of mind for people to think that it's going to take seven years to go through college. And you almost get this perception of, wow, that person must not either be very intelligent or very driven. But on the other side of that script, what they don't see is how many other jobs you're doing, how many other activities that are consuming your life, and that the education piece is not the driving force just because it's not who you are, right? And yeah. you had to be there and be that person to step up and take those accomplishments step by step. 
which I think is massively important in that. Um, and then teaching yourself to code HTML and working through the early, cause this is early days of Photoshop. This isn't what we yeah. know of the Adobe creative suite. Now this is like CS one and CS two even, right? Yeah. There was no shortcuts. You actually had to do <laughs> things like binary and there was no like quick tips. And now there's a whole bunch of icons on the left side of the screen that shortcut yeah. things that we used to have to do manually. <laughs> so it's kind of funny how easy it is nowadays. Like clipping masks and being able <laughs> yeah. to Imagine we had to go pixel by pixel back then and delete things. Yeah, that's it's wild. And it's it shows how you've been able to build. And one of the other key elements I picked up out of that was when you were focusing on the early stages of building those websites, community was already such a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And where you're at today, uh, it's arguable that you're one of the best community developers out there within the online space, especially within the 365 driven community. I want to get into that and what your perspective on that is because you take a totally different approach to marketing than what 95% of even digital marketers and advertisers out there say because, and I want you to get into that. I don't want to bust the bubble for it, but specifically around your daily video challenge and how that's kind of spitting in the face of advertisers saying you don't need massive amounts of ad spend to build a community or make a difference. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, I would say that I didn't realize that community building was one of my superpowers. I call it that now. I, I didn't realize that probably until I sold my company. Because mm -hmm. when you're in the space, I sold my first company in 2007 and had a two-year transition. So I was out of it at 2009. But there was a lot of people in that space that I knew because we were friends and things like that, different company owners. So I kind of felt like there was a lot of other people. There was probably 50 other people doing what I did in that level. And I was like, okay, so I'm not like some anomaly. I'm just kind of like one of these people that do things very well. I say, like, that's cool. But as you start to look back and when you're out of that space, you realize that building communities with hundreds of thousands of registered members is not like a ordinary thing. You know, when you're living in it for seven, eight years, it kind of feels like it's a normal routine for you. But when you're out of it, you're like, whoa, I actually did something that was pretty big. And I didn't even realize that because you had the blinders on. You're really hyper-focused on what you're doing. And so I started thinking about, you know, what are the signs that I had previous in my life that led up to that? Did I have any things that were highlighting us? Yeah, I've always been that community builder. Even within my circles of friends as kids, I was always the leader, the one taking the charge and teaching people and encouraging people to do better, whether that was skateboard tricks or BMX tricks or playing video games. I would be like really hyper-focused on getting really good at something. And then I would get excited and I would start to teach other people how to do it. So I've always been a teacher and I've always been a leader, even as a child, just looking back. And the first communities I built were online automotive, you know, clubs. So car clubs here in the Houston area. I think the first thing I think I was remember was modern performance of Houston because it was catchy MPH, like miles per hour. And I made a little logo with a little speedometer on it. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. That's like one of my first logos. And that one had like 150 members in it. It was really just a online form that I created that people registered it said what car they drove and their email address and had a way to contact them. Then we were going to do a meetup. So that led to different online communities. And then even with the ls1tech.com community, which surpassed 300,000 members, I took that same business model, the same core values, the same business structure, everything about it and duplicated that with another brand called performancetrucks.net. Both these websites are still online today. They're still top of the game. That one grew to over 200,000 members with the exact same business model. So I've been able to repeat this process a few times now 
And what I realized is that, dude, I'm just doing things a little bit different than most people that want to build up what we call following nowadays. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's looking at Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, and they're just so hung up on getting a follower account because they think that that's what defines their perceived status or their influential capital in the digital space. But I disagree with that because I would rather have 300,000 registered members with their actual contact information on an email list or on a group that I create than having 300,000 followers that I don't know anything about, don't know what they do, don't know what they buy, don't know anything about their visitation time on my website. So I knew all the data. And looking back, it's not a whole lot different than what Facebook and all these other platforms are based on now is having registered members and watching your monitoring your progress and understanding how many minutes you spend on there and which pages you're looking at. We had all that data back in the early 2000s. Zuckerberg and them just did it at a much bigger scale. But I would also argue that Zuckerberg doesn't have a community. He's got a portal for communication, but people aren't there because of him and being a part of what Facebook is about. They're just using it for their own personal reasons. So I did things a little bit different, dude. And I still do that today because I think for leaders, it's not about your ego. It's not about placing yourself as a pedestal on top of the mountain and pounding your chest and telling everybody how awesome you are. See a lot of that going on nowadays, especially on Facebook and Instagram. But that doesn't have any longevity, Alex. It doesn't work for a long time because people get tired of you seeing you pound your chest and telling me how awesome you are. And, and if you're unapproachable or you're inaccessible, then you're also kind of this figurehead that's not really being involved in your community. Where I built massive communities is buying, by being a member, by being an active participating member within my community that people realize that I'm the owner, but they're not like, oh, he's super cool and like he's unapproachable and I can't talk to him. And if you just build the network and be a part of it, that's one step. The other thing I think a lot of people fail at is they like to be the broadcaster to their audience. So mm -hmm. if you're just worried about follow count, you just want to talk one way to your audience. You just want to stand on that pedestal with your megaphone and talk down to everybody else that's following you. And that's how a lot of people you see, on people you and I know act like that. They don't understand leadership. But the thing is, is that as a true leader that builds massive communities, my goal, my main objective is to go out and get within my community and build really strong bonds between the members of my community. Because if I can make them become best friends, they're going to remember where they met. They're going to keep collaborating and hanging out where they met. And they're going to tell their other friends, hey, you need to come join this thing too. So I'm really focused on building strong bonds between members instead of thinking it's just this one-way thing from me on a hill talking down to them. Wow. I mean, it's at a... a uh very condensed form. It sounds like it's guerrilla marketing through relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. What a crazy way to approach it. But I mean, it's so true and it's so impactful and it obviously is effective because of the society that you've been able to build and cultivate and develop. Uh, it's absolutely incredible to watch that from afar and to see it kind of up close too, to see those two things play out mm -hmm. moving forward. So let's, I told you my audience before we had started, we have a lot of younger entrepreneurs and we have a lot of older entrepreneurs. Um, the younger entrepreneurs, the questions that we get are really based around that idea. And I think you hit on it really well. The number one question we ask is how, or they ask us is how do, how do we get more brand visibility? How do people see more of me? How do I get more engagement out of my audience? And on the other side of that uh, curve where our audience dips, we have a lot of people who are struggling out of a sense of I'm afraid to post and engage because I'm afraid of the backlash that and the PR nightmare that can come from these social channels. Mm 
-hmm. So having those two separations of audience sets, where would you really say that your style of marketing is super effective for either one of them or both of them, or which one do you see being more conductive or conducive to their success? Well, we've got two different sets of questions here, two different sets of answers. So you'll have to remind me if I forget which okay. one it is. But let's start with the younger demographic you mentioned that were struggling for notoriety. They're, they're craving influence. They're wanting to make an impact. They're doing things, but they're not really feeling like they're getting noticed. I think a lot of times that comes from lack of self-confidence and lack of belief. It just starts with mindset. You got to realize that everybody out there is unique and they are the best version of themselves. And that should be always improving. I see too many people trying to emulate what other people are doing and trying to be a mediocre version of something else or a diluted version of somebody that's already established. And they're trying to do the same thing. I mean, you see guys out there standing in front of their Lamborghinis that they rented for the year, you know, to get to do photo shoots. And it's like, you know, people ask me, Hey, Tony, why don't you have a Lamborghini? It's like, well, cause I have a Camaro that costs more than a Lamborghini and I like Camaros better. So I do things the way I want to do. I buy cars that I want, not what you want. So that's just one example. So think about what makes you unique. And every single person listening to this or watching to this, you have one thing, at least, at least one thing that makes you unique to other people. For me, maybe it's because I made millions of dollars with a side business, or maybe as I'm half Japanese, half white, you know, I have all these different things that could be different. Maybe it's because I'm an engineer and I can think analytical, just like you, Alex, and translate that to a motivational or a business mindset that most people lack the engineering and analytical side. They just mm -hmm. know the, the emotional side. So figure out where your strengths are, whether that's communication or visuals or way you present and realize that you don't have all the necessary talents required to get that information out right now. That's why you have to invest in those skills. You hear me speaking right now. You go see me stand on the stage, do videos. That was not something I was born with. I was actually very terrible at that about three years ago and is realizing that I wanted to write the book Side Hustle Millionaire to get my message out there. But when you think about it, writing a book is really somewhat of a cowardly way of getting your message potentially broadcast to thousands, if not millions of people, because you could create an entire book and market it very well, but never had to show your face and never had to stand on the stage, right? Mm. So it's really a somewhat a cowardly way to get a potentially big message. And that's why I thought about it because I didn't wanna be on stage and I didn't like being on camera and I didn't like the sound of my recorded voice. So for me, the book was really just my cowardly way of trying to get my message out there and help as many people as possible without stepping into a spotlight. And even the title Side Hustle Millionaire was a title I kind of cringed at when my editor suggested it because I wrote the manuscript with the title, The Hustle, because it was a playback to my collegiate billiards championship level pool playing and the, the cliche word of hustle being around entrepreneurship. It was a dual play. I thought I was being clever. He thought it was being weak is really. So, you know, my editor, kudos to him. He's like, dude, you're the side hustle millionaire. You made millions of dollars with a side business. That's, that's what makes you different. That's what's gonna be the title. You need to learn how to own that and step into that character and it wasn't comfortable for me because I'm not that type of person to be like, well, I'm super rich and I'm super awesome. And I just said, okay, let me sleep on that. And I put it out there. So understand that if you're listening to this, you don't have all the talents or the skills right now, but you need to invest in those things. So if you think that video is what's required for you to go become influencer or something like that, or a YouTube strategist, then you got to suck it up and go hire somebody and do the reps. That's the only way you get better. And you got to realize that you will suck. Every single one of us will suck anytime we do something new. 
you, you may have never stepped foot in a gym and you go, hey, you know what, I'm going to be physically fit. You know what? You're going to suck at this for the first three months and it's going to be very painful. And you're going to be like, why am I doing this? I'm, I wake up every day and I'm sore and this is like the worst feeling ever. And that's the problem is most people quit when they're doing something that's outside of their comfort zone. They, they mm. go for a little bit and they go maybe two or three months really hard and they're trying to do something and you feel like nobody's listening to your stuff. You feel like nobody's liking your posts. You feel like nobody's watching your videos. And so you go, well, I guess, you know, it's just not for me. It's just not working. I guess, you know, I'm not getting millions of followers or I'm not getting thousands of downloads on my new podcast. So I guess I'm just going to quit. It's just not for me. I'm not cut out for this. Guys, if you just get past that and understand that 90% of the population, I'm just going to put a number out there based on my own experience. I'd say 90% of the population, that's why they call people the top 10 percenters with this thing about it. They quit. They quit, they try something, they go really hard, they put a lot of effort in it, and then they quit two to three months in. But what you have to realize is that it is a very lonely journey when you do anything that's outside of your norm. First, when you announce it, you get the golf claps. Like, oh, hey, cool, cool, congrats. Like, you know, this is gonna be cool. We're so proud of you. And you're like, oh, cool. I had more support than I thought. And you're feeling really confident in that moment. So you turn it up and you start doing more content or creating something new and then, it starts to fade, you know, people are less likely to hit like on your stuff. And you're like, well, is my message wrong? Am I doing things wrong? Am I pissing people off? Like what's going on? Nobody's liking my stuff. I'm not even getting the golf claps now. And so that's when you kind of go to that danger zone. And most people fail at that point because I go, I guess it's not working for me and they quit. But what you got to realize is that with thousands of people out there doing exactly with what you're trying to do, they are also going really hard at it. But the thing is, is there's too many people out there. There's too much noise going on. And so for people as spectators or observers or a potential audience or potential followers, we tend to observe from a 10,000 foot level and just kind of just step back and we see who the real ones are going to be that are going to pan out. So that takes about six months based on what I've experienced. So if you can go hard every single day being 365 driven, six months in, now you're going to start to see people liking your post. You're like, oh, cool. It's kind of, it's kind of shifting. There's actually more people liking my post now. That's cool. That's interesting. And then about nine months in, they're commenting a few times. Yeah, hey, that was a really good video. That was a really good message. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, I like that episode. Thanks for sharing that. That was great. 12 months in, they're like, dude, this is great. You know, they're telling their friends about it. They're going, hey, you know, come check this out. You're, you know, this guy's making some good content. It's like a year in. It's, not, it's how long you got to be dedicated. And then 18 months to two years in, like where I'm at three years in now, I'm getting tagged by hundreds of people around the internet that I've never seen before, never heard before, but I'm being tagged all over the place. And it's really fascinating to watch because and, and I have time, I'll go try to respond and thank them for that. I always want to make sure I'm acknowledging again, I'm, I'm participating mm. in that process of building my personal brand rather than thinking I'm too good for that and I'm unapproachable and I'm unreachable. Like if someone gets a like or a comment from me, it's from me. I don't have people that I'm paying out there to go do my social media for me. So that's the kind of keys you got to think about. Just play the long game and be willing to do the work. And if you're not willing to do 12 months minimum, minimum, like it, even if you haven't even started yet, let's say you're like, I'm going to launch this podcast. I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to go on a fitness journey. If you're not really committed right now to do 12 months of that every single day, then don't even start because you're going to get beat by people who will do it. Mm. You know, you've mentioned something 
not on this call, but one a while ago that I had listened to that really resonated with me. And I, I took the advice to heart, which was when you start this, don't even look at your stats for the first six to nine months. It's don't not even, worth it. Don't it, do it. It's not worth it. You're just going to beat yourself up and not want to move forward anymore. Even if you come out of the gate swinging and you get all the downloads, it's still going to affect the way you're going to do things. And it's not going to be who you really want to be anyway. Yeah. And that really stuck with me. And I hope that sticks and really resonates with a lot of other people out there too, because it's such an important factor in it to where when we have, so we have weekly internal marketing meetings within our company that last about two hours. And one of the things that we frame each and every one of them up with is that how will this play out over a two to three year window if we start this project today? Hmm. Yeah. Because it's going to take time. It, it just, it's part of the equation, right? You can't mix all the ingredients of a cake together and expect it to bake while it's still in the bowl and not in the oven. It's true, man. If you can just understand that the biggest advantage that you can have right now with engineering or a career or with starting a business or fitness, if you know the biggest advantage is just playing it out, just out, outlasting people and knowing that's a big advantage. Like I said, 90% of people will quit. And if you just know that and use that as a strategy, hey, dude, if I just go six to 12 months, I'm going to outlast 90% of my competition. Like, psh, that's an easy play. It's easy. I know the outcome. How does that play for you with identity of people quitting on their identity six to nine to 12 months in? What, what do you mean by that? So we all know people who are one-off millionaires or one-pop shops where they pop off once and then it's, it's a flash in the pan, lights over. Do you think it's because that their identity didn't outlast other people's who are willing to put in that work to raise that identity step by step? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination of what I've seen is people who have achieved some level of success, whether that's financial or business or whatever, sports. A lot of them don't understand there's a lot of character development and mentoring and coaching that's required on top of their accolades. So just because you've earned a million dollars or a couple million dollars or built a good company or it doesn't mean shit to somebody unless you know how to teach that. And if it's not within your heart or your character to be actually a teacher or a coach or someone that can encourage people and make them believe in what's possible for themselves, then they're not going to hear your message anyways. Because other than that, it's just a trophy on the shelf. That, that's cool. Like, we'll give you the golf clap. Hey, cool. You made some money. But if you're not a good teacher or a communicator or actually have that passion to want to do that, we're going to hear that too. I love it. Tony, we're running out of time. I want to give you an opportunity to plug 365 Driven because guys, if you are not following Tony, not following this movement that's happening right now, you are missing out on a massive wave, especially with a lot of you being in the entrepreneur space, being in the business space, being in the coaching and mentoring space. This is something you have to get a hold of. Tony, where can people find you? How can they learn more about 365 Driven? Hey, thanks for the opportunity. So my society is called 365 Driven Society, and it's an entrepreneurship community where we have mentorship, we have support, we have challenges, we have education. I bring in experts. We do live podcast interviews for my audience, and they can have Q&A with some of the biggest names out there. And the thing is, is I take the same business model and principles I've built for massive automotive communities, and I'm doing it for the other thing I love, which is entrepreneurship. Because even as a kid, Alex, I was the kid that would go to the grocery store with my mom and I'd run to the magazine rack when those used to be a really big thing. 
and I would read Hot Rod Magazine and Popular Hot Rodding, and then I would grab Forbes and I would grab Entrepreneur. And I didn't know what the hell they were in. Like, I didn't know the terminology, but I, I was just always interested in business and making money. So I was that kid even then. Was, those are the two things I really have a lot of passion for is cars and business. So I said, you know what? I built massive automotive things. I made a lot of money with automotive. Like I want to do things with my other passion, which is entrepreneurship, which honestly has a lot more potential to impact generational legacy of people because it directly affects people. Like it's cool to have fast cars and stuff, but I want to change people's lives. And that's my legacy play for the rest of my life. So I started that community with the same core values, the same principles, the same growing type of everything I've done. And I want to build a community of millions of people that are going to change the, in the world. And I will always be a interacting partner and member within that. So 365driven.com is the website to find that. You'll find links there to my social media and my best-selling book, Side Hustle Millionaire, as well as the 365 Driven Society. And we hope to see you inside if you're really interested in doing that. Awesome. I'll put all those links inside the show notes. Tony, thank you so much for taking the time today to be on the show. We really appreciate it. Everybody, Tony Watley, if you have not hit the subscribe button, go ahead and hit that and make sure you go subscribe to Tony. It's going to change your life. The content out there, super impactful, learning about core values, learning how to create a mission and motive at a big scale. 365 Driven is the way to help you out with that. We'll catch you in the next episode. We have some really amazing guests coming on a little bit outside the entrepreneur space, but it's really going to bring an amazing impact for your life. Thank you so much. We'll catch you in the next episode. 